This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. taking a nap hey everybody it's overdue it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and while andrew takes a quick nap um we're going to talk about two edgar Allan poe stories this week but first he asked that i just remind everyone that we have a free live show coming up in fairfax virginia on october the 14th it's a saturday at 3.30 in the afternoon, so if you're listening to this podcast in the week of its release, you still have time to make plans to get there. Andrew's going to talk about Beauty and the Beast. It's part of the awesome Fall for the Book Festival, held in partnership with George Mason University. Uh, I think that's all the details. Andrew, have you woken up yet? <sighs> yeah, yeah, okay, I'm up, I'm up. Um, <laughs> welcome. We're what doing are we doing? Welcome to, welcome to Overdue. This is the podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. I'm still Andrew. I'm still Craig. Um, and yeah, I'm sleepy. Yeah, a little sleepy. This just <laughs> in, new hot off the <laughs> presses. <laughs> I'm sleepy boy. Well, all the better for you to get spooked with some spooky stories. Yeah, Spooktober continues. Um, Edgar Allan Poe is our guy this week. So He's we our did, man. We did the Raven back in the day. On an, on our like New Year's episode, <laughs> at the end of we spent five minutes of that episode making like talking about New Year's resolutions. I uh-huh. I have some regrets. Well, never more. Ha 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 ha! But um, so Edgar Allan Poe, we talked about him a little bit in that episode. Um, born in 1809, died in 1849, and was one of the first uh, American writers, early well-known American writers, to try and earn a living through writing and only writing. And it didn't go super great, but he's still a giant <laughs> of literary fiction, so, you know. Yeah, and he's good. got <laughs> he's got claims to, like, cities all up and down the East Coast. Like, he has ties to Baltimore. He has ties here in Philly. There's actually a a creepy mural of him, like, not far from where I got married. Um, the fact that we didn't take photos outside is actually good because we could have ended up taking weird Poe wedding photos, and I don't think Laura would like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I probably would have cool of, with like, it. I don't know what kind of omen that is for <laughs> your, not a good for one. your marriage. No. Um, and also New York City. And, yeah, the big story of his is the Raven, obviously – um in 1835 he married his 13 year old cousin so that was cool uh, good job Edgar Allan Poe good job they're married for, know? for 11 years and then she died and it may have inspired some of his some of his famous works yeah so there's something we talked about uh back on the Raven episode called the philosophy of composition mm-hmm. which is his like whole deal with how all the stories should be short they should be really methodical. There should be this thing called the unity of effect that he believes in, which is like you have a specific emotional response that you're trying to elicit. And he thinks logically 
that the death of a beautiful woman is, quote, unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world. <laughs> uh, which I dare you to think of a more poetical <laughs> topic right now. I think there probably are, but okay, Mr. Poe. Pretty clouds? Yeah. Uh, Animals? Uh, paving paradise and putting up a parking lot is pretty poetic. Ooh, bop, bop, bop. Um, his mom died in his life his <laughs> foster mother died his wife died there's some scholars who are like yeah if he might not have come up with this particular theory if he hadn't lost a handful of women that were pretty close to him um or he could have just been a weird dude which is probably two things two things um, <laughs> so andrew what story did you read let's talk about the backgrounds for our stories i guess okay so the story that i read is called the cask of amontillado okay cool it's about wine and murder <laughs> oh yeah um there are there the scholarship about the story way 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 outstrips the length of the story itself which is cool like blink and you miss it like super super short um <laughs> The the background to why the story was written in the first place is probably my favorite thing about it. Um, so Poe wrote this story as a response to this guy, Thomas Dunn English, who is a, a rival of his. Um, and uh, English wrote a uh, novel called 1844 or The Power of the SF. And um, it made references to secret societies and revenge. And there was a parody of... Poe called Marmaduke Hammerhead, uh, <laughs> which is the full name of the dog Marmaduke from the Marmaduke comics, in case you didn't know. Okay. It's not. I made that up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Marmaduke Hammerhead wrote this this thing called The Black Crow and uses phrases like Nevermore Ooh. and Lost Lenore. So uh, yeah, so this, this Marmaduke Hammerhead was supposed to be Poe. And he was just depicted as a drunkard, a liar, and an abusive lover. Hmm. Um, so Poe writes this story, Cask of Amontillado, where he makes references to Thomas Dunn English's novel, and yeah, you know, it talks about like Freemasons, which is like the secret society that's in 1844. And then he ends up. Well, I don't want to spoil the story, but let okay. it, let it be known that. The Thomas Dunn English analog does not end up doing super good <laughs> oh, in this no. story. <laughs> okay, um, so I read the murder in the room, murders in the room morgue, which, due to a Far Side cartoon, I had always assumed took place in a morgue. I don't. <laughs> it doesn't. It Can takes you ex- place. Explain the Far Side cartoon. I think it's like a. I think it's two guys or cows or something. Yeah, like stealing like watches off of dead bodies it's i don't Ah, okay i don't you know um it's trading on the fact that you know what this story is i guess um it's just a spot in in old paris and murders in the rue morgue was written in 1841 it was published in a thing called graham's magazine which was a philly (laughs) public what my name's Graham, and this is my magazine. <laughs> it was George Rex Graham, who uh, wasn't a very successful writer, but he had this like periodical that he published. He did write in the back every week, Andrews, in a little spot called Gra- George's Corner, or Graham's Corner. George's Corner. Yeah. Um, 
And initially they had Howdy rejected... y'all, it's time for another <laughs> another segment of Graham's Corner. Come on into my corner. Let's chat. Uh, when he started running articles, he had to, this is Graham, he had to specify whether or not the work was going to be paid or non-paid. So he put a notice in his magazine that said, Writers who send articles to this magazine for publication must state distinctly at the time of sending them whether they expect pay. We cannot allow compensation unless by special contract before publication. Yeah, very little has changed in the publishing world. <laughs> I can just tell you that. I thought you'd appreciate that. Uh-huh. Uh, he rejected Poe several times. Um also, he directed his stories. Um, womp, womp womp. And then Poe probably wrote a bunch of really nasty poems about him no, or something. <laughs> Poe actually became the editor of Graham's magazine oh, okay. in 1841. That's and one, one way his, to get your stories into yeah, it. One of his first uh, publications was Murders in the Rue Morgue. He would also write about you know other authors of the day, writing reviews. He stopped after a couple years and then... Uh, due to poor copper investment, uh, the publication ceased in 1858. So, it's just you know, a real, relatable, identifiable <laughs> problem that a lot of people have. Uh, and the neat thing about Murders in the Rue Morgue is that it is widely considered the first detective story. Uh, the word as we use it today was not, it like, it didn't exist. Um, I, just, I feel like I have heard that in reference to, like, a million different books, though. Mm. Comes know. up more than once on this one. Sure. So it I, just think, I just think it's it's a lot of things lay claim to being like the first detective story or the first modern detective story. Or, sure. Yeah. Um, we'll get a little bit more into this, but it does set up even some specific like Holmesian conventions. Um, and the main character of this would uh, appear in a couple other stories later on. Um, yeah, that's that's what's going on with this one. Um, he initially intended to print it, print a series of pamphlets called "The Prose Romances of Edgar A. Poe." Mm-hmm. He only he only printed this one. <laughs> <laughs> it was like collected with a satirical essay, and it sold for like twelve cents. Sometimes so. you have big plans that just don't pan out. No, you gotta you gotta redirect your energy to something more productive, like marrying your cousin. Well. They can't all be winners. <laughs> <laughs> different times, mm-hmm. different different era, different lifestyle. Um, you want to take a break? We'll, yeah, we'll, let's take a we'll break. Share these stories. I'm parched. Woo. Craig, we're just knee deep in Spooktober, the spookiest month of them all this month. I'm so scared. I'm shaking in my boots. I'm shaking in my boots. Um, but if you like, if you wanted to collect some tips on how to be more or less spooked, depending on how like happy you are with your current <laughs> spooked level, what do you? What should I do? I'm confused. Obviously. I'm also confused. I think you might be able to help me out if you were to launch a website mm-hmm. that you could use to catalog these tips. Now, I think our sponsor this week might be able to help who is it (laughs) 
I try to hand it off to you, and then you just like I'm rubber, your glue. Any pitch you start bounces off me and hits you. I'm rubber, and I'm rubber. Welcome to our ad break, sponsored by Squarespace. It's Squarespace, of course. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. You can use it to showcase your work, blog, or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and of course, give people all kinds of spooky or comforting tips depending on whether you're trying to scare them more or help them not be so scared. They've got beautiful, read, spookiful web uh, templates that <laughs> were created by world-class designers. They've got e-commerce tools. Um, it's optimized for mobile. Uh, you get like domain names and stuff, right, too? Yeah, you right? get a domain name. Uh, you can... Uh, you get an analytics that help you grow and see where your audience is coming from and what they're paying attention to. Uh, you get search engine optimization. You don't have to patch or upgrade anything ever. You get 24-7 award-winning customer support and probably ghosts can read your website. Yeah. If they can use computers. Make it spooky with Squarespace. You should go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Spook it up. Uh, Craig, tell me about your story. I'm oh, you want me to go first? Yeah, I'm okay. switching it. Switching it up. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about the murders in the Rue Morgue, and this, as I said, it's a detective story, sort of. Mm -hmm. The opening, like ten pages, maybe I'm. It's only like forty pages long, so maybe it's the opening five pages. Um, It's just Edgar Allan Poe talking about how cool it is to to be smart. Um, I don't really know how to put it differently. He spends a lot of time. (laughs) talking about how cool it is to be able to analyze things and like make deductions wikipedia is cool but like if you're just using (laughs) your own book to toot your own horn i feel like that's in poor taste yeah wikipedia puts this in a category of poe's quote tales of ratiocination like reasoning like okay. being rational. I think it would be like ratiocination. There's an extra C in there that I don't understand. Huh, okay. um, there are a couple other stories that apparently fit into this genre of his. And the goal is to like impress upon you ingenuity. Like to make you appreciative, but actually understand what ingenuity is. Sure. Um, so in these kind of opening pages, he talks about chess players and drafts which i think is like british checkers i don't know he talks about uh card games uh he name drops hoyle which at that point i think might might have just been like whatever version of hearts they were playing in the 19th century i don't Mm -hmm. know yeah because they didn't really invent any good games until later like yeah, Monopoly to... and Papamatic Trouble mm-hmm. and Sorry and Yahtzee Hung- and, Hungry, Hungry Hippos. and Don't Break the Ice and um, uh, Ants in the Pants. Like all the classics. Don't Wake Daddy. Don't Wake Did Daddy. Uh, yeah. Grape Escape. Uh, Gator Golf. Oh, yeah. Mr. Bucket. Mousetrap? Uh, what was the one with the elephant and the butterflies? Oh, that would blow the butterflies out of its yeah. Schnoz. Did we stump ourselves? I think we might have stumped ourselves. All right, we got caught up in the crossfire. With we got to move. Oh man, that's another good one. <laughs> you sunk my battleship. 
so in this, he it boils down to, um, you know, you might know how the rules of the game, you might know uh, how to, you know, act on them, but the the difference in the extent of the information obtained lies not so much, I'm quoting the story here, not so much in the validity of the inference as in the quality of the observation. So it's not just your ability to, you know, draw a conclusion from information. You have to be smart enough to know what to look for in the first place. Okay. You can't just like, oh, well, there's going to be three aces in the deck, or, well, there's four. Sorry, Craig. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is what he's talking about. You can't just know that there's going to be aces. You got to look around and know how to look at, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when the person across the table, like what they're going to do and and deduce, you know, make your decisions based on information that not everybody else is gathering. Mm -hmm. And then he says, the narrative which follows will appear to the reader somewhat in the light of a commentary upon the propositions just advanced. Nerd alert, Edgar Poe. <laughs> Nerd alert. Man, I don't like you calling him Edgar Poe. <laughs> it's really weird. The huh? middle name really needs to be in there. <laughs> so it jumps right into the narrator telling us about how he met a real cool dude in a library. Uh-huh. They're both living in Paris, and he meets this fun Frenchman named C. Auguste Dupin, who heretofore Dupin. Uh, they, they like met over the same old volume in the library, mm-hmm. and they Classic decide... Classic meet-cute. Yeah, they decide to move in together <laughs> and like mm-hmm. hang out, and it's not presented as romantic, but I kind of like that it might be they just they're just two guys just wild two and guys crazy guys fun and seeing where it goes and what they do is they they like shut up the house that they're renting they don't admit any visitors they like when the sun comes out in the morning they like close all the windows and the shutters and they just hang out and read and talk and get to know each other i think this is and the the 1830s version of playing xbox in your underwear <laughs> while you eat dominoes it, <laughs> it really is it's like let's read some philosophy and learn about each other's thought patterns and think about the world and then only go out at night and walk around yeah Paris. this is exactly the modern bachelor experience too so. yeah it's pretty good we were yeah um so they do this, and then the first thing that you see them do as they're walking through the street is they're walking around, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, Dupin just says to his to the narrator, "He is a very little fellow. That's true, and would do better for the Théâtre de Vérité." And you're like, "What? What? There wasn't a conversation happening. What's going on?" And we get a couple pages of Dupin impressing the narrator by deducing his thought process from a dude he bumped into on the street so i i think this is a thing that you and i could maybe do andrew because we've known each other for so long Uh that like i could see you just kind of sitting there and given context i might be able to guess what you were thinking about what am i thinking about right now (laughs) whether or not this story's gonna get better yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) But well, the, that that sounds. You talked a little bit about establishing Holmesian characteristics, and that sounds very Holmesian, like yes. like making 
deductions based on virtually nothing to the point where you actually seem like a magic precog detective man. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. It's he he the narrator's like, "Wait, we weren't talking for the last 15 minutes. What conversation are you having?" And he's like, "I could tell that because you bumped into the fruiterer on the street, that you were looking at the street, which made you think of this thing called stereotomy, which made you think of Epicurus, which made you think of astronomy, which made you think of Orion. You looked up at Orion, and then you remembered the line in the play we saw yesterday that was spoken by a bad actor that we all agreed shouldn't be on the stage because he doesn't look the part. Bingo, bango, I'm a genius. Wow, okay. And you're like, hmm, this sounds like a really obnoxious friend that I live with. Yeah. That's my <laughs> first reaction. Uh, and while they're walking, rather than anything like this, this doesn't come to anything. It just impresses the reader, I suppose. Uh, they discover a newspaper whose headline is Extraordinary Murders. Uh-oh. People have been murdered. In Two, an extraordinary fashion. In an extraordinary fashion. Two women, a mother and a daughter, were living in a home in the area of Paris called Rue, the Rue Morgue. Uh, they were discovered at 3 a.m. after lots of screaming happened. There was a razor that was smeared with blood. There were thick links of human hair. Uh, At first, the mother couldn't be found until they found her out in the, like, yard. And this is like she got thrown out the window by and had, like, a three-story fall. Uh And they find the daughter shoved up the chimney upside down, like, all battered and bruised and stuff. Yikes. And the, the cops San- the don't Santa know. murders. Yes, the reverse Santa murders. The mm-hmm. cops don't know what's going on. Uh, they burst in there and they, you know, discovered these bodies here. And then the next day's paper has all sorts of depositions. So at this, no criminal investigation would go this way, Andrew. But imagine the next day, all the witnesses to a crime or the closest thing to witnesses just like have a statement that goes in the paper of what they think happened or what they heard. Like without even a, a police interview taking place or like without it's, any confirmation that they are witnesses or it's unclear. Like I whether guess or not, you could just take out a classified that's like, Hey, we saw this murder. Well, I get, well, yeah, I guess the other thing it's like, if I just you, don't know why you would the local news. Like if there's like a, an, like an incident, like a traffic accident or something, like they'll do on-the-spot interviews, and you'll get someone like, I saw that guy go in really fast, and I got out of the way, or yeah, whatever Yeah, then it somebody is. like auto-tunes it yes, to make it becomes a, a meme. song. Yep, yep, yeah, that's true. Um, so that's, I guess that's what this is. It's uh, an auto-tuned newsreel of people saying what they saw and heard. Because as soon as all the screaming happened at 3 a.m., like a bunch of people rushed to this house and were like waiting at the gate for the cops to break the door down. And then some of them ran in with them. So there's like a laundress and a tobaccoist and a confectioner and an undertaker mm-hmm. and the, the mom's clerk. Uh, and they all give mostly the same facts that they go into the building. On their way up the stairs, they hear two voices, one that's in French and is screaming like, Sacre bleu, mon dieu. And then, <laughs> baguette, <laughs> baguette, uh, <laughs> lattes, no, that's Italian. Um, and then there's another voice that no one can identify. They describe it as harsh, not shrill. 
and everyone thinks it's a different nationality. Like, an Italian that they speak to thinks it's Russian. Uh, a Dutch person thinks it's German. An English person thinks it's Spanish. A Spanish person thinks it's Italian or whatever it is. No one can identify what type of voice this was. Okay. Um, and the the only other like salient detail that comes across is that the accountant like the clerk had that afternoon dropped off like $4,000 for them um which in those days was a princely sum a princely sum but of course none of that money was taken with the murder and the other thing that's tricking the cops up is that the, there were doors inside the house that were locked so that they had to get broken open to get to the crime scene and the windows were shut so they were the the police have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. classic mind trap sort classic of murder. yes and of course our friend dupin says that the police are confounded by the absence of motive due to the atrocity of the murder and he also says that the Parisian police so much extolled for acumen are cunning, but no more. There is no method in their proceedings beyond the method of the moment. So he just like craps on the police for like a page and says, I'm going to solve this murder. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure it out. And he's friends with the cops. So they get to go to the crime scene, <laughs> which is also like a Sherlock Holmes thing. It's either a Sherlock Holmes thing or just like any given crime procedural. <laughs> Like, why does Castle get to go there? Because he knows a cop. Yeah, he knows a cop. And his experience as a novelist helps him solve the crimes. And or was du- he supposed to be learning about <laughs> how to write the novels from the crimes? I don't I don't remember which way it went. Because I, I never that, have seen even one single episode of the show Castle. I think he was going to write a new novel and wanted some on-the-job experience. Like, he wanted to do some ride-alongs. But then he found out that he could help them as well or something. Yeah, by, like, imagining how people think Mm because he's a writer. I don't know. Nathan Fillion seems fine. (laughs) He seems fine. (laughs) Uh, So Dupin is out to solve this murder. He also thinks, mostly so that he can throw shade at the police, and also because the guy who dropped off that money is, like, a friend of his. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll exonerate him. It'll be fine. So then we just get a conversation, for the most part, we get a conversation between... Uh, Dupin the genius and our narrator where he reveals what he learned because he's so smart and all the things that the police missed Mm -hmm. so he goes in there you know obviously Andrew whoever shoved this woman up a chimney like had to have superhuman strength sure obviously obviously he also solves the whole like window closed thing by like inspecting some nails and discovering springs and like realizes that if you held onto the shutter you could make it to the lightning rod and like shimmy away. He also learns that whoever committed the murder came in through the window also, which I guess the cops just ruled that out. Whoop, womp womp. I mean the door they have a door, that's the only way anyone could have got in. And it was locked. So mm-hmm. who could it have been? Yeah, a mystery. Elves a mystery did it. It is. <laughs> he says multiple times. He's like, "You and I are not taken to believing in supernatural forces. So it's not that. Don't worry about it. I I've solved it. 
But it, it did take supernatural force to shove the person up the chimney, though. Yes. So how does that get reconciled? Well, he also shows our narrator the hair that he found, and it doesn't it doesn't look as human as they thought, Andrew. It's kind of really thick. Does it look like horse hair? It's animal-like for sure. Mm-hmm. And the final piece of the puzzle is he's like, hey... Buddy, what do you think it is? He's like, oh, was it, was it a madman? He's like, no, let me show you this. I made a sketch of the bruises on the woman's neck. Try and hold your hand up to it and see if your fingers can stretch to it. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's it's like that something out of an animal, something some oh, sort no. of large animal. Oh, no. And then he pulls out an article that's like written by some scientist. The the equivalent <laughs> moment is have you ever heard of orangutans, Andrew? Have I ever? Yes. Yes. Yes, I have. Well, they also have in this book, and that's twist. The twist. And as it's spelled in this book, the orang utang, but not spelled as we know it, orangutan. And he just deduces that it must have been. It the only possible solution is that there was an orangutan. Next step, you put out an ad for whoever owned this orangutan that's gone missing. Uh Uh-huh. And he deduces that it's a Frenchman, probably a sailor, because how else would an orangutan get here? Yeah, how else? Uh, And his ad is like a Craigslist post. It's like, yo, sailors, if you're missing an animal, hit me up. Come to my house. I Mm -hmm. have it. Yeah, they're, I'm like not entrapment. This is not entrapment. <laughs> we are not going to arrest Don't worry you. about it. Nothing it has happened. nothing to do with a murder. Uh, and the dude does show up, and he's like, hey, I found your orangutan. Talk, talk me through like what happened. So the guy brought an orangutan from Borneo, and he was keeping it in his house before he could sell it. And one day he discovered the orangutan in his bedroom trying to shave Mm -hmm. because he learned it from watching him. So he had a razor in his hand, the orangutan did. So it was an orangutan who like wanted to be human? Maybe. Poe doesn't seem interested in that part. That, but why not? (laughs) I don't know. That seems like the most interesting (laughs) part. So the orangutan has this razor, he gets spooked, he jumps out the window, he goes to this other house where he sees a light in the window, runs in, gets scared by these ladies, slashes the one woman's throat and throws her out a window, and then strangles the other woman, and then, because he's scared and of what he did, he like shoves her up the chimney to hide the evidence. Uh-huh. That's one smart ape. Yeah, wow. And then, uh, and then that's it. And then the book ends. That's then the they book? like um, they, an orangutan did it. An orangutan did it. What? And the sailor, the sailor, like gets to go sell his orangutan because it's no one's fault because it's just an animal, I guess. Um, the other, the other voice that they heard was the Frenchman who had followed his, followed his orangutan to the house and couldn't believe what his creature had done. And then the mumbling foreign voice was, of course, the orangutan. I, I feel like somebody should be liable for this. <laughs> you know who's liable? The police, because they're idiots and couldn't figure this out. That's what the story's really about. I Andrew. guess. Like, this probably is why they have you get orangutan insurance now. 
I mean, those orangutans are, they're smart, man. They're one of the um, smartest obviously, animals. Yeah. Smart enough to kill somebody. They are the largest tree dwelling animals on earth. Do you know that? I didn't know that. Did you find that out when you were doing research for this book, or did you just know orangutan facts? Oh, I wish I just knew orangutan facts. I, I just learned today that they are also the only great apes of Asia. Ooh. And that, according to this discoverwildlife.com article, they are gentle and sit for hours gazing. Huh. Not in this book. Huh. This book, they're Stone Cold Murderers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no gazing here. Unless he's gazing on your corpse as he tries to shave all of his hair off. <laughs> What I was surprised by with this book, and I'm sure it came across in my retelling of it, is that it doesn't actually feel very suspenseful. It feels like a guy bragging for 30 pages. Uh-huh. Like, he... It's like bragging that he figured out this orangutan crime. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like there's no... We're not here to explore like the horror of these people being killed by an ape on the loose Mm -hmm. um we're not here to talk about we don't really dive into what it means for the french police to be so bad at policing but also like who would have suspected an ape like Mm -hmm. that's above and beyond i think and i guess the point is that you know this type of reasoning is possible and exists if only you'd you'd just had all the time to sit around and do it if you were a rich french guy Mm -hmm. um but it, yeah, it does set up the, it sets up this Holmesian character in this Dupin guy who comes back in other stories. It also sets up the like Watson esque narrator companion, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, who whose perspective the story is from, um, and then I've really enjoyed the like three pages of. This person who's a tobaccoist heard this version of the story, and this it felt like not like Clue, but it it felt like I was playing a board game. It felt like, like it was, was gonna be Clue for a while. While you were listing all the all the people who were around and like the yes. occupations that they had. I thought it was gonna be like now we round them all up and we have to decide which one did the bad thing. But no, no, it's the first. It's p- the first detective story, not the first murder mystery party story. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Um, do you want to move on to your tale? Is your tale spookier than mine? My tale's... Mm, uh, I'll, let, I'll let you decide. Oh, okay. I don't want to editorialize and uh, and poison the well here. Um, all right. Cask of Amontillado. It is, I think, shorter than yours even. It is oh, a very, boy. very short book. or Well, not even a book. It's a story. So there's this guy, Fortunato, and uh, he is he has injured our narrator, whose name is uh, Montresor. Okay. He, he, Montresor has borne a thousand injuries of Fortunato as best as he could, um, but then Fortunato insulted him somehow in a way that is never, ever made clear. <laughs> and because of this insult, Montresor vows revenge okay and he said a wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser it is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong whoa so not only does he need to get back at fortunato but 
Fortunato needs to know who it is who's oh, doing the job. Sure. That's a very important part of revenge fiction is whether or not the vengeance needs to be known. Yeah, it's like when you, you know, if you don't rub a dog's nose in it when it goes to the bathroom inside, then it's never going to know what it did. And it's the same when you're getting revenge on somebody for (laughs) an insult that you never explain. Yeah. Okay. So so what's he going to do about it? It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so uh, Fortunato, the Fortunato likes a good glass of wine. Mm. And so he and, he and Montresor are at, the, at this carnival, and uh, Fortunato's been drinking much, and he's he wore motley. He's dressed like a jester. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's he had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. Um, and Montresor tells Fortunato, hey, I have this thing of Amontillado, and I know that you love wine, I was going to go over to this guy Lucchesi's house and have him try it. Yeah, and, Lucchesi. Yeah, and um, and Fortunato's like, oh, Lucchesi can't tell Amontillado from Sherry. He, he's an idiot. <laughs> um, and that's, it's been, it's, there have been some questions raised about how much Fortunato actually knows about wine because Amontillado is a kind of Sherry. So I don't know if that's a mistake of pose or if we're supposed to think that this Fortunato guy's an idiot or if we're supposed to be like mm. mad at him for not knowing enough wine, and so that's why he deserves this revenge that's going to be visited upon I, him. I wonder if it's more like snooty idiot kind of stuff. It may be like, some snooty idiot yeah. stuff. Um. So, uh, so they both go down into the this like cellar, this like multi-chambered labyrinth-like cellar that is underground, and um, and Montresor gives. Fortunato, a couple of different bottles of wine, and Fortunato's just like chugging them, getting drunk, staying drunk, <laughs> just like having a good time. And they go down further and further into this into this labyrinth. Like and, why um, wait, but like what is this house? Why is this basement like this? It just is. That's the way it is. Just like he has all these rooms. They're in his vaults. It's like a wine cellar slash vaults slash whatever. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, and yeah, so they they have they have gone back to Montresor's home. He says there are no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I told them I should not return until the morning, and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient. I well knew to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. <laughs> Oh gosh! So they're down in the cellar below his house with uh, with two torches that he calls flambeau, which I think is a cool name for torches. <laughs> um, and they're wandering through, and they're and and Fortunato's drinking, and they're having well, Fortunato's having a good time, and so they get to the end of this labyrinth, and there's this dark chamber in there, and Montresor is like, "Hey, that's where the Amontillado is. Go and go and get it." And uh, Fortunato's like, okay, and he goes in, and then Montresor like chains him up in the in the little chamber, 
and then he runs over into the corner and he uncovers these bricks and mortar that he kept in the corner and he starts to wall up the the little thing that Fortunato's in and he does it and then he it's done what and he leaves Fortunato in there no um and he says what um I thrust the torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick. It was the dampness of the catacombs that made it so. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century, no mortal has disturbed them. In pace requiescat. Which just means rest in peace. Rip in peace, Fortunato. Rip in peace, Fortunato. You're dead. You're dead in the wall now. And then that's the end of the book. Yeah, that's story. It. That's the whole thing. Okay. Okay. Are I, we supposed to be happy that this happened? Are we? What I is, think we're just supposed to take it at face value that whatever injuries and insult that have been visited upon Montresor by <laughs> Fortunato. <laughs> were bad enough. Like, and Fortunato does seem like a wiener. A jerk? He does seem like kind of a wiener. Like, he's drinking all this wine, and he's all drunk and silly, and he does not question it when when a friend takes him deep into a dark cellar, promising him really fancy wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, okay. this, they have this, like, argument about, like, like, Fortunato makes fun of him for not being a mason, and then Montresor's like, oh, yeah, I'm totally a mason. Don't get well, it twisted. Let me, let me here's just my, prove here's, it to you. Here's my mason trowel. Oh. <laughs> It'll be the last thing you see. Yeah. Does so that's like, the story. Does he... Does Fortunato, like... Is he, like, even aware of what's happening to him? Um, For a little while, not. Okay. And um, he says once... Um, well, he starts acting... He's... He's acting like it's a joke. Ha ha ha. He he he. A very good joke indeed. An excellent <laughs> jest. We will have many a rich laugh about it at the palazzo. He he he. Over our wine. He he he. The, Amon- the Amontillado, I said. He he he. He he he. Yes, the Amontillado. But is it not getting late? Will not they be awaiting us at the palazzo, the Lady Fortunato and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes, I said. Let us be gone. For the love of God, Montresor. Yes, I said. For the love of God. But oh, to these no. words, I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud. Fortunato, no answer. I called again, Fortunato, and then that's the end, yeah. And then he's just walled up down there. Because he's just he, walled up down there. He insulted the wrong guy. But they were, like, tight beforehand? Not really. So it's, um... Because that's, that's an... In the, what in that like the relationship sub, is. Their, their yeah. relationship is, you don't get a super great um, sure. sense of it, but um, you do get, I don't know if I can actually find it, to read it but um there's this little exchange where montresor is talking about fortunato being like like rich and prosperous as as montresor once was so Mm. oh uh your health is precious you are rich respected admired beloved you are are happy as once i was you are a man to be missed um huh okay yeah so there's some like speculation that there's like a reversal of fortunes here but uh, Montresor sure, is sure. just not a not a super uh, well fleshed out character, and I think Poe might argue that that sort of window dressing that you is would unne- get in a normal 
horrid story about all the motives and all the stuff that was happening would be like extraneous or not really necessary to the story. And yeah, the, the feeling of reading it is just like, is this what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the point. Yeah, I was that expecting makes sense. some poison wine or something, but no, it's it's worse than that. It's a little more effort than that, huh? Mm-hmm. I, I felt like there was a similar like, this is what's going on in Rue Morgue, where it's like, this it's just going to be this guy sitting across from another guy mm-hmm. solving a mystery, mm-hmm. and wait, it's a it's a ape. Like, it just at the end, he's just like, bam, I set this up. You should have known. But also, it's kind of nuts. It's yeah, I don't know if he's, like, subverting expectations or, or what it is that, that Poe is doing. But, um, yeah, it was not, was not what I was expecting. <laughs> Looking for that cask of Amontillado that apparently doesn't exist because it's just an empty an empty hole that you wall your former friend up in. Okay. Two questions. One for each story. I'll see. All right. What animal, if you were to be killed in a terrible, surprising, extraordinary murder way, what animal do you wish did you in? Is this happening in my home or in some other location? In your current home? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. What would it be? And is it a thing where the animal has to like kill me right there, or can it be like a like a rabies or some kind of like wasting illness that no. takes a while to kill <laughs> oh, me? I don't like the phrase "wasting illness." Yeah, I'm just wondering. I'm just yeah. asking, trying to get more information from you. No, I think you're. I think you're dead within within six hours. You're dead, but probably even shorter than that. I think like a like a. Really poisonous snake. Oh, like a good old snake bite. Yeah, like, like I'm like classic. I'm digging I'm digging around under the stairs in the oh, basement snap. where we keep all the paint and stuff, and there's like a poisonous super snake. Okay. And it bites. I buy me. that. And I my la- that. my last words are don't give anybody any of my stuff. <laughs> any of your stuff. Yeah. Because <laughs> you become a snake when you die. That's how it works. Yes, sure. That too. I don't the, like becoming a snake isn't part of my story, but you can sure. append whatever to it that you need to. Great. That's the sequel. Mm-hmm. Other question. What would someone have to do for you to wall them up in your basement? <laughs> what What is the gross injury or insult? They would have to lay a finger on my Butterfinger. I think this episode brought to you by Butterfinger BBs. <laughs> the bits. Oh my god! What about you? Same questions. Okay, I and you can I, like li- ask me questions about the circumstances of your death because I'm willing to like play with you a little bit and maybe like you die at a zoo or in a Seven Eleven or something. Okay, Just opening yes. it up to different animals and like different circumstances. So wait, I'm asking you about my death. You're gonna solve no, like my murder. You, you ask me like if you have any questions about where it can take place, and I will tell you if I think it's allowed. Okay, could it be uh-huh. at? You said zoo, and now I just want to say zoo. No, I mean, zoo is a natural place because that's where all the animals live. What about like a campground? Could it be at a campground? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay, could the animal be bigger than six feet tall? Yes. Could I? Well, is, or is that too easy? 
oh, maybe that's too easy. I think what it's if it too was easy. Like a really industrious badger. It just needs like to be me out. It needs to be smaller than you. Oh, so yeah. Now I'm thinking about like a raccoon or mm-hmm. a badger, mm-hmm. and maybe it doesn't kill me by itself, but like it jumps on my face and I fall and hit my head on a rock. Sure. And or maybe there's like, just a bunch of them who gang up. Oh and, no, that and would suck. get at you because oh, they want your slim jims or something. Terrible! <laughs> I hate slim jims. I got those for you. I was coming back to our campground lot. I got the slim jims down at the at the like poolside vending machine, and then I got lost and raccoons killed me. And a pack of raccoons got you. Yes. Okay. Um, so okay, what would someone need to do to you? to make you wall them up and you can't use the same answer as I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, they would have to ask me, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Oh, it's in the, so another candy-based. And then I'd Goof. say I'd wall you up in the basement. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I just see you with the trowel like building... like. You got somebody gagged in an alcove in your house and you're building up this wall and then you turn just, to the camera and there's just like a little ding and a glint just, off your teeth and you're like holding it. Munching on up. a Klondike bar. Yeah, just munching on that Klondike. <laughs> and in the in the room there's all sorts of empty Klondike wrappers down there. Yeah. That's where I go to eat my Klondikes. Mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe, you messed with my mind. Edgar Allan Poe, Poe, what have you done? What have you done to us? That's the it's just the the initial reaction is just what? Yeah, totally, totally. But then if you start thinking about it and talking about it, which is like a lot of the Poe scholarship seems to be just like how much can I wring out of these like two lines of context that it gives me and like build my own world of circumstances around this thing. <laughs> I do also I really like that this story exists essentially as a 19th century diss track. <laughs> yeah that's true you did set that up you're right he's like well here's what if i just locked this guy up and killed him mm-hmm. that's pretty because cool. he said mean things about me in his book. he said mean things and about me called me marmaduke hammerhead or whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the room morgues one there was a little bit of scholarship pointing that um organized police forces were relatively new due to urbanization at the time yeah like Like, police forces and fire departments and all that stuff are distressingly recent invention (laughs) (laughs) and the idea that you would be a professional cop like that was relatively new in london as of the time of that story um and so why again he decided to write like a diss track about cops and detectives i don't know Mm -hmm. he needed to invent a super smart guy to to put them all down Mm -hmm. um and a lot of that, a lot of those Sherlock Holmes stories, when they when they do involve the police, it's always about how like the red tape and the process. Yeah, like, it's about preventing the bureaucracy. you from seeing the crime. It's not so much that the cops are totally incompetent. It's about red tape, and it's about the person who committed the crime being a genius worthy of Sherlock yeah. Holmes's efforts. Yeah, which is not what's going on in this story, but yes, that's definitely how Holmes goes. Um, and then there there's some people who are like, this is a story about brains versus brawn. Like the orangutan killed the people and the guy with the brain solved it. Well, yeah, but <laughs> the people are still dead. <laughs> like, yeah. 
the brain didn't save these women these this beautiful poetic device that poe has deployed in this story mm-hmm. womp womp these stories are silly they're silly little stories it is. It's just like let me pull back a curtain. Here's a here's a little story that happens, and let me close it. And you go home and you think about what you did. Yeah. If if you're looking to read some more stuff, like I think most opposed stuff you can find by just googling it. Like I, it has yeah, been yeah. in the public domain for some time at this point. But um, there's also a, a best of Poe volume that I found on Amazon. It's a Kindle edition. Uh, cool. That's like four bucks, and it has. I think it has both of these plus like Mask of the Red Death and uh, Telltale Heart and The Raven and all kinds of like greatest hits. So if you are looking for just a full spooky book to read and maybe I mean, like I know there's a lot of stuff you wrote that's longer than what I read. But if you just want to get some more like strange Poe fiction. Yeah, this is it's a good it's it's a good collection and it's it's easy to hop around and like read the stuff that you that you want to read the most. So if you the listener want to if you have some other post stories that you uh, want to share with us that we should go off and read follow up to these or that you want us to like spread the word about uh, you can hit us up on our email on our email over yeah, to hit us up on our email. Yeah, overduepod at gmail.com or on social media. That's twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. A lot of folks reaching out in the last week in response to Fear Street and our Q&A episode. So I just want to thank a couple of them. Uh, R.A., Where Carol, Eric, Tom, Tessa, Valerie, Morgan, Amanda, uh, Caleb, Michael, Starfish Chick, Lucas, uh, Whitney, Suzanne, Teresa, Ronnie, and many more. Thanks, y'all. That's a, it's a it's fun during the week to stay in touch with you because we only record this once a week. Yeah, usually, <laughs> usually, uh, we actually I we're saying that because Andrew and I just recorded uh, our bag of bones episode with Natasha over at the Unspoiled podcast, and you'll hear that in a few weeks. It's, yeah, it was it's, very. It's going to be a crossover thing that goes up on both our feeds. It'll post to the Overdue feed on the twenty third, so that's two Mondays from now. Yeah. Um, and it'll go up on her feed, I think, around a week before that or so. Yep. Uh, Andrew, where do folks learn about our show? Uh, folks can learn about our show at OverduePodcast.com. We've got a bunch of links to different ways you can subscribe, including iTunes, Google Play, RSS. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us. It really helps us out. Um, and I wanted to highlight one more time because it's the last, the last call Um, We've got our live show coming up in Virginia as part of the Fall for the Book Festival. That is 3.30 p.m. this Saturday, which the date is the 14th. Yep. And uh, you can find out more at fallforthebook.org, or we've got a Facebook event up for it. There are no tickets, and admission is free. I honestly have no idea what the seating situation is going to be like. I do know it's going to be a first-come, first-served thing. I don't know how much to tell you to hurry but like don't don't assume you'll be able to get in if you if you get there at the last minute like we just can't guarantee that there will be seats left so you know show on up yeah plan smart be smart come on out and we'll probably hang out a little bit after and and chat with some of you guys cool andrew thanks for not locking me in a basement uh thanks for not killing me with a monkey (laughs) or if i do ever get killed by a monkey thank you for figuring out the crime 
I got your back. Um, next week, uh, one of us is reading. Are you reading House of Leaves? Oh, let's go. Let's go to the House of Leaves. House of Leaves by Mark L. Danieluski. Um, so everybody, everybody strap yourselves in for that one. Uh, we will be back then. And until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.